0: Let's pray. Dear God, you are indeed the great I Am. We praise your holy name this night as we gather together as a family unified in Christ, humbly coming before you. For you are God and we are not. So we lift up to you a sacrifice of praise and we lift up to you our hearts and our heads tonight as we get into your word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Habits. We all have them, don't we? A habit is something that you do on a regular basis, daily even, right? You don't even have to think about it. It's second nature to you. It's just something that, that comes out of you. What are your habits? Some of us have good habits, others not so good. In part, our habits define who we are, don't they? They drive us. They are a goal for us. They, in ways, control us at times. I can't do X until I've had my oatmeal, right? I f- finished this sentence. I can't concentrate in the morning until... Ah, <laughs> I knew uh, half of you would say the same thing my wife would. Coffee! you got to have your morning coffee, right? What do you do in the morning, every morning? Do you have a routine, something that you do? In the book of Psalms, we are being taught to make a habit of prayer. A habit of spending time with God, acknowledging who He is daily. And in Psalm 5, we see David recognizing once again who God is, who we are before Him, and the joy of our refuge in Jesus Christ. Does any of that sound familiar? We kind of covered those same things in Psalm 2. We covered those same things in Psalm 4. And now we have it in Psalm 5. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Psalm 5 is where we are at. David says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against You. But let all who take refuge in You rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread Your protection over them, that those who love Your name may exult in You. For You bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. The reading of God's Word. Thank you very much for standing up. Go ahead and have a seat. Like I said, haven't we talked about these things before? Why do I need to hear this again? If we look at Psalm 4, we'll see the same things. Psalm 4 says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Doesn't that sound very similar oh men how long shall you my honor be turned into shame how long will you love vain words and seek after lies he's praying to God he's recognizing who God is he's examining the sinfulness of men all over again isn't that how habits take shape in our lives repetition You do something three times in a row, right? If you want to form a a habit, do it three times in a row. And it starts to become second nature. David is telling us, psalm after psalm after psalm, make a habit of being just grounded in the righteousness of God. Scholars, uh, I, I I read several different books as I go into preaching something like this. And and there were a couple different authors who saw uh, Psalms 3, 4, and 5 as a a unit of prayers. And they are morning, evening, and morning. 3, 4, and 5. Morning, evening, and morning prayers. Make it a part of our daily routine. We need to make it a part of our daily routine to be with God, to recognize who He is and our dependence upon Him. I can't concentrate until... I've spent time with the Lord. Instead of I can't concentrate until I've had my coffee or I've had my oatmeal or I've done this or that, watched the news, I can't concentrate until I've spent time with the Lord. Psalm 5 verses 1 through 3 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord consider my groaning give attention to the sound of my cry my king and my god for to you do i pray O lord in the morning you hear my voice in the morning i prepare a sacrifice for you and watch the first thing david does in the morning is to spend time with god and it's not just to spend time with him did you did you hear what he said there in verse 3 it says, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. The first thing David does in the morning is to, to linger with God. He lingers with Him. The sacrifice he prepares is not obligatory. It's not just something repeated. It's not like he goes to the temple says, hey guys, i got to get this done. Let's do it. And then he walks out. David prepares that sacrifice for God, and he watches. It's not obligatory. It's not a repeated mantra because God hates that. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel's talking to Saul, and and he tells Saul to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. God would rather have obedience than a sacrifice. Isaiah chapter one, starting at verse eleven to thirteen, it says What to me this is God speaking, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams, and the fat of well fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Because God doesn't want our religious obligations. David says, In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Have you ever gone camping? Anybody like camping? I love camping. My favorite part of camping is the campfire. I love to set it up, and and then you light it up, and you sit back in a chair, and you just watch it burn. Right? You can do that for hours, can't you? And if you're sitting there with somebody else, and you're, you're just watching that fire, you end up swapping stories, talking to them, spending time with them, sharing life with them. That's what God wants with you. He wants that lingering time. A restored relationship with him is exactly what Jesus Christ died for. Not for religious obligation. And David seeks... In this psalm, you can see him seeking the Lord's presence in his life. Verse 1, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. It's that language of cup your hand behind your ear and, and listen carefully. I want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to know what's going on in my heart, those groanings that I can't put into words. But your spirit knows. Your spirit knows what I need. And even as he does this, even as he implores God for his presence, for his ear, once again, David recognizes his place before God and who God is. In verse 2, he says, Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. My King and my God. He's the one who hears my voice the creator of the very ground I stand on, the one who knit me together in my mother's womb, the one who knows me inside and out. He's the one who hears my voice in the morning. While others need coffee before they'll listen to me, God will listen to me first thing in the morning, right off the bat. He's always ready. The creator of the universe wants to hear from me. Let that sink in. Sometimes I think we we are Christians for so long that we forget the wow of what that means. Let us make a habit of talking to God when we wake up, lingering with Him. He will listen no matter what time it is. Remember that He does not grow tired. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. Psalm 121, verse 4. And God has time to listen to you. He's never too busy. To him, a thousand years is as a day, right? He stands outside of time. He always has time for you personally to linger with him. And don't forget as you do that, that he is our God and our king. He's our God and our king. He can make stuff happen, can't he? He set the rules of physics into place. We think to ourselves, well, I don't have time to pray that much. Morning and evening, and and to spend 20 minutes in prayer, that's an awful lot of time. The reality is, we really don't have enough time not to pray. Martin Luther, I'm not talking about Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther... 500 years ago, Martin Luther famously said something to the effect of, I have so much to do today that I will have to spend the first three hours in prayer. Did you catch that? I have so much I have to get done today, I'm going to have to spend at least three hours in prayer. Because God can make us more efficient in our time and in our efforts. And sometimes God will allow us to be less efficient, to struggle through life in our own strength for a while until we remember our dependence upon Him, to cry out to Him, my God and my King. He loves you, and He wants you to linger with Him. And as we pray to Him, and linger with Him, we need to be reminded of God's character. We need to be reminded of God's character. And just like spending time with anyone, the more time we spend with them, the better we get to know them and understand who they are, don't we? When you first started dating your wife, men, you... you, Wanted to spend more time with her and 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 at first it was high by at least for my wife and I was it's like Hey, how you doing? Okay, good good to see you And then we started spending more time together more time together and eventually I was like I'm convinced I want to marry this woman. I love her. I know her I know what makes her tick and she's just a significant part of my life now The more time you spend with somebody the, the better you understand and the more you know what makes them tick as we spend time with God we will begin to realize some things about Him. And the first thing to realize about Him is that He is holy. He is not like us. He has no sinful nature. And He will have nothing to do with sin. Verse 4, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, he will have nothing to do with sin. Verse 5, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. As we're reminded of God's character and hatred of sin, our own character comes glaring back at us like like a spot of black on a white background. By nature, we compare ourselves to others, right? And as we look at God, we see His holiness and we see our sinfulness. We, We look at the perfection of God and we realize, I'm the one. We are the ones who brought sin into this world. Who here is not sinful? Who here does not match this description that our psalmist gives us of what man is like before God? He mentions that God hates all evildoers. Any sin is evil. Those who speak lies, the smallest lie is still a lie. Those who are bloodthirsty, Jesus said, If you hate your brother, it's just as committing murder, right? God hates that stuff. These words serve as a reminder to us that compared to his holy perfection, we are like Joshua the high priest in the book of Zechariah. In the book of Zechariah, starting at chapter 3, we're introduced to Joshua as he's brought before God. And he's clothed in filthy garments. Look at Zechariah 3, chapter uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, "'Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, "'The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire?' Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. That word filthy in the Hebrew there, it represents a a couple of different words. One is human excrement, and the other is vomit. So here stands Joshua before God covered in human excrement and vomit. That is as our sin before a holy God. We come before God like that toddler who just smeared poo all over the walls of the bathroom. We're stinky, filthy, and caught. We are stinky, filthy, and caught. Verse 9 of our psalm today, says, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Maybe this verse sounds familiar to you because Paul quotes it in the book of Romans chapter 3. He says to us that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. Paul uses this very verse from this psalm to remind us that we all fall short of God's glory, of His pureness, of His holiness, of His perfection. This verse is a reflection of our condition before God. If we still aren't sure about that, let's, let's just take a look at the Decalogue. Let's take a look at the Ten Commandments here. And there's this, this great evangelist called, his name is Ray Comfort. I don't know if you know him. He's done stuff with Kirk Cameron. It's that whole Living Waters ministry. And, and if you ever get to watch some videos of him, he has some stuff on YouTube. Great to watch. It's neat to see how easily this stuff just rolls off of his tongue. And, and besides that, he has this great Aussie, Kiwi accent. And he goes through the Decalogue to show people their sinfulness and to make them confront their condition. How many of us have never put anything before God in our lives? How many have never looked upon anyone else with lust, ever? Have never desired something that belongs to someone else? Have you ever taken or just reallocated something that does not belong to you? Even that paper clip or whatever it is from work because ah, it's right here and I can use that. And... How many of us have never used the name of God casually or inappropriately? We, we've always honored our parents, right? Every single one of us. I do that. Uh, maybe not. How many of us have never hated anyone? How many of us have never told the smallest, tiniest, itty-bittiest little white lie? Because even the littlest one is a lie, and that makes us liars, right? Well, we didn't even finish the whole Ten Commandments list completely, and I'm pretty sure none of us has passed. So where does that leave us? It should leave us Humble and with a holy fear in our hearts. Verse 7 says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in fear of you. The realization of who we are before a holy and perfect God should leave us wondering Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I can never be good enough. And then I realized the first part of that verse, verse 7, that my ability to come before His throne with boldness is based solely upon His steadfast love. says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. When I realize this, the depth, the endurance of his love for me, I will come boldly, but in a holy fear of God honoring Him, loving Him, because it is His righteousness that makes my paths straight. Verse 8 says, Lead me, O Lord, in Your righteousness because of my enemies. Make Your way straight before me. It's His righteousness that makes my path straight even when I've been caught up by the enemies of lust, hate, lies, Covetousness, idolatry, disrespect for my parents, all of these things, that, the sins that so easily entangle us. Thank God for Romans 5.8 that reminds us that God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is only He who can take those filthy garments that Joshua was wearing and clothe him with pure righteousness, pure white clothes. Every single one of my good works is tainted by sin. But in his love, through his son's sacrifice on the cross, in my place, he washes away the filth of my sin. I will fear him constantly habitually, because apart from him, I bear the guilt for my sin. Verse 10, make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. In my rebellion, that's exactly what I deserve, is to Take the full responsibility, the full guilt for my sins right upon myself and to pay the full price for those sins. I I pay the wages. I pay exactly what I have earned by my sins. Death. Eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from all that is good. In Romans, as Paul talks about our salvation, our righteousness coming from the grace of God apart from works, he reminds us that we are saved by faith in God alone, and he says, So do not become proud. Our righteousness is not our own. Do not become proud, but fear. That's Romans 11.20. Martin Luther again said that the most dangerous sin of all is the presumption of righteousness. To presume ourselves to be righteous. To forget that our righteousness comes from God alone. Where does your righteousness come from? A lot of people in this world say that they, they are going to get into heaven because they've, they've been a good person. They've, they've done good. After everything we've talked about, is that going to be a sufficient answer when we stand before a holy God? Doing good things. Or is your righteousness based upon Jesus Christ? Is it a God-given righteousness that attains to His holy perfection as only a God-given righteousness can. If we have Christ's righteousness, if we are dressed in His robes, knowing that God has discarded our filthy ones, look at verse 11 with me. "'Let all who take refuge in you rejoice.'" Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. If we take refuge in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, we have reason to rejoice to ever sing for joy to exult in him to wake up in the morning whatever's going on in life and to say i'm happy i've got a joy in my heart that nothing and no one can take away see because he is our righteousness and so we have no need to be afraid in this world because he will have nothing to do with sin. And if my righteousness comes from him, he will never fail in his righteousness, and I will be seen by the Father the same way he looks upon his Son, Jesus Christ, and I will be seen clothed in that pure white righteousness that comes from him alone. Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. These are all basics, aren't they? It's, it's hopefully nothing you've never heard before, or maybe it is, and that's a good thing that you've heard it. But if it is that repeated thing for you, we need to remember to, to let these themes become a habitual part of how we think. Let prayer become a habitual part of how I live. Let the remembrance of God's holiness and my sinfulness before Him become a habitual part of how I think. That my trust in Him will become a joy in my life. Every morning I wake up, and I thank God for that righteousness given to me. From my experience, a Christian never grows tired of being reminded of how gloriously, graciously, and mercifully we have been saved from our sins. And we never get tired of thanking God for His righteousness given to us through His steadfast love through His Son. Pray in the morning pray in the evening and pray in the morning again. Be reminded constantly of the pure holiness of God, the depth of our sin, and the joy of His grace to us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, how marvelously, how wondrously we are saved. How great is the steadfastness of Your love how wonderful it is to know and to recognize that I am not standing upon myself, I'm not standing upon my my fallen supposedly good works, but Lord, I'm standing upon you and your perfection, you and your righteousness, you and your Son. You are good. I praise you, Lord, for the reminders of these things that you have given to us in these psalms, in your Word. And we praise you tonight in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.